Hello? Hi. Oh. Hi, how you doing? Fine. How long's it been since you slept? It's coming up on the seventh day. It's okay, I checked Guinness. The record's 11. Listen, Glenn. I know who he is. Who? The killer. You do? Yes. And if he gets me, I'm pretty sure you're next. Me? Just give me some help nailing the guy when I bring him out. Bring him out of what? My dream. I grab the guy in my dream. You see me struggling, so you wake me up. We both come out, you whack the fucker, and we got him. Just meet me at my porch at midnight. Oh, and meanwhile, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. In 1984, the golden age of slasher movies was reaching a turning point. Halloween had been lying dormant for two years after the mixed reception for Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Friday the 13th had its fourth and, at the time, final chapter in the spring of 1984. And the glut of cheap slasher cash-ins had just about run its course with mainstream audiences. Now, there were still a ton of fun horror movies being made, but the average moviegoer seemed to be less and less interested in masked killers racking up bigger and bloodier body counts. The era of the big-budget, theatrically-released horror movie was giving way to lower-budget movies on VHS. Though this could have been the beginning of the end of an era for slasher movies, experienced horror auteur Wes Craven brought a new breed of killer to the big screen and helped revitalize the genre. By 1984, Wes Craven had already spent more than a decade making violent and disturbing movies. He terrified countless audiences with films such as The Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes, but he wanted to do something different. Drawing on his own personal experiences, as well as a series of unsettling true stories, Wes Craven wrote and directed a movie that capitalized on fears that everyone can relate to, our own nightmares. With beautifully terrifying imagery and a killer that would go down in history as one of horror's most iconic, Craven's nightmarish vision of horror captured people's imaginations around the world. It was a movie that brought new life to horror movies and spawned a franchise that turned a fledgling production company into a Hollywood player. That movie is, of course, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and it is the first movie we will be discussing in our latest 10-part franchise retrospective here in The Last Theater. Welcome once again to The Last Theater. My name is Chris. And my name is Joey. And if this is your first franchise retrospective that you are embarking on with us, go to cnjradio.com, listen to the one we did on Friday the 13th, listen to the one we did on Halloween, and then you will be ready for this one. I, I've been Especially talking, the Friday the 13th yeah, ones, yeah, yeah. Because I've been talking a lot about the history and the context of when I talk about the other franchises, and Nightmare is definitely a part of that. They all kind of... Because they're all... That's the big three yeah. in American horror cinema. There is no doubt about that. Yes. There is no doubt. And maybe 10, 20, 50 years in the future, someone could find this, right. and they'll listen to it 
chronologically. Right, each movie. Ooh, yeah. yeah. That would be, yeah, that's a good I'm, way to do it. I'm going to do that eventually. Is that like I'm gonna the, do it myself. The, the best way to listen, like the Star Wars kind of thing? Yeah. Like which one is that's how you're supposed to do it now. Yeah, that's how you're supposed to do it. I completely agree with this. Because so. <laughs> this franchise retrospective, like I said, if this is your first time, we are going to cover one episode per each movie in the franchise, including Freddy vs. Jason. We will be talking about that one again for the long-time listeners, and we will be talking about the remake and then we will do a wrap-up at the end. It's going to be ten episodes, one on each movie, then the wrap-up. So, Chris, I wanted mm-hmm. to start off with this. Okay. This is the main idea mm-hmm. that I think breeds the argument mm-hmm. that Freddy could potentially be the most iconic uh-huh. of all the killer villains in mm-hmm. cinematic history. And I like to put it this way. So, in movie history, not just horror movie history, sure. but in movie history, Chris, the early stars... Are the silent film guys mm-hmm. Lon Chaney, uh, Charlie Chaplin, of course, Buster Keaton, people sure. like that. Sure. And I feel like, like those guys are always going to be great. Yeah. And you have to watch those movies, mm-hmm. and they are good movies still. And I, I kind of that's how I kind of look at the the ones that came first in the slasher, Jason and Michael Myers. Uh-huh. I see what you're saying. Yeah. This is where it becomes the horror slasher becomes a talkie in a way. It really is. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's where my brain goes for this, and yeah. I just like that's why Freddy is different. That's why he became, and that's why he became more famous. And I will say it: I think Freddy is the most famous of these three in a sense. I, I don't want to argue icon status, right? I'd like to argue the fact that this is why Freddy was on like you know crossover television, MTV, yeah, you know commercials. Uh, things like that and it's because he talked he had a personality now i know i'm maybe getting you know into the later thing uh, entries here for the thing but right there just even off the bat i always think it would have been really interesting i guess if the first nightmare on elm street he didn't talk and it's almost like the way that they framed that intro oh yeah how good is that intro Mm, the intro is Amazing, and it, it sets off one of the things that not just Freddy himself, but the movie itself, Nightmare on Elm Street, is so yeah. different than the other movies that it gets lumped with. It does, as we go along in these episodes, You'll we will talk more about how it fits more into the cliche slasher genre, yeah. but this first one doesn't so much. Yeah. It's not so much a slasher, and even Wes Craven himself, yeah. at the time, were saying, like, this... <laughs> Isn't really even a horror movie, and yes, he's the Springwood slasher, <laughs> yeah. which would come later, I think, because I don't think they said that in the first one. That nickname didn't happen until way later. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's a slasher because of the claws, <laughs> right? Um, and I want to get back to to Freddy himself in a little or, bit, or let's call him Fred in this episode. Oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. he he's I, built as Fred Krueger, yeah, and even Nancy calls him Fred Krueger. She think, says Freddy, I think, once. But yeah, like, I feel like it was said, but it is written in his hat, Fred Krueger. Yeah. That's what she tells us. Yeah. Nancy tells us, and that does have a that does have a serial killer connotation to it yeah like freddy krueger doesn't sound like a serial killer fred krueger does or like frederick r krueger you know like it's it's always got to be three names you know frederick lee krueger frederick r lee krueger would be definitely be like a serial killer (laughs) like high class american psycho type dude sure yeah um Sorry, I'm getting off the rail there. Sorry about that. We're starting (laughs) off early on this. We're covering a lot of ground already. But yeah, so one thing I wanted to say 
in the beginning. We're going to get to Freddy because I do want to talk a lot more about him. There is going to be more that we're going to leave for later because he does change as the series goes along. Yeah. So we'll focus on his personality later, of course. Yeah. But it's important to talk about his personality in this one as well, I think. Um, But getting back to like this being such a different kind of horror movie, uh, I was reading, as I did when we did our Halloween retrospective, I went to Fangoria and read some of the articles from the time that this movie specifically was being released. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't as much like dirt and like behind the scenes. Like when I was talking about the Halloween yeah. one, it, Halloween ones, it was like this isn't that great or stuff like that. You know, yeah. as we're doing it or as they were doing it, I should say. So how was the buzz going in? Like on this, was it like okay, you know, we like Wes, so we're excited to see what he does. It's, Is it kind it, of one of those things? Yeah, I mean, it's Wes Craven, and sure. like I said, he he'd had a decade of like really great movies that he'd already <laughs> made his impact on the genre. This is almost like a sellout movie. Like those other ones are so raw, like they're so rough, they're they're uncomfortable to watch. And this yeah. is like this is like his crossover movie, but it's still like serious and scary as hell. Yeah, but it's it's like. Yeah. It's a different scary. Yeah. And it's, it's his crossover movie, yes, but one of his quotes from Fangoria was he said that this was the first movie he wasn't commissioned to do. This was his own personal project that he wanted to make. He wrote okay. himself not knowing if it would ever get made, whereas all of his other movies, someone came to him and said, hey, we need a movie. About this. <laughs> Almost like. Pretty much, yeah. Thing. I mean, okay. like Last House on the Left, he worked with uh, Sean Cunningham. For that one, he worked yeah. with him in this too, yeah. which we'll get to a little yeah. bit maybe later. But and I, I don't know if I'll have ever chance to bring this up on the show. But speaking of that movie, mm. I one thing I remember specifically, I think it was I don't know if it was in the uh, it's in one of those horror documentaries. I've seen yeah. a lot of them over the years, but yeah. I like when he says, "So all of my well-to-do friends, because he kind of comes from that background, yeah, and art class people at art school friends." They all stopped talking to me and inviting me to parties after they <laughs> yeah. saw that movie. And you could see why. Yeah. Like, this is what's in his head. <laughs> For sure. And that's kind of one thing. I read an interview specifically with uh, Heather Langenkamp. And she was saying that this was like her third movie, I think, and her oh. first lead ever. Uh, she was like an extra in one, and she was supposed to be in Rumblefish, but her part oh. got cut. Oh, wow. Um, That'd have been a big credit. Like they had actually filmed it, but it was cut. Oh, that's unfortunate. And then Wes Craven uh, saw her and was like, we need her in this movie. But anyway, she was saying that she had no idea what to expect on the set, and she figured that like Wes Craven was going to be this maniac like kind of guy. Yeah. But she said out of... She hadn't worked on many sets at that time, sure. but... She said that this was the most relaxed, most friendly, most fun set. Wes Craven was, like, soft-spoken and very well-spoken. Yeah. Um, he weaves a lot of different things into this movie, like, into the script. Eastern philosophy that he was studying at the time plays yeah. a big role in how he created the mythology behind Freddy Krueger yeah. and things like that. And I love how it's created out of a real thing. Yeah. You know, like... Some of the best movies are just by random articles that people read and they expound on that. Yeah. You know, and, and this was definitely one uh, of those. So, I mean, you know, we, we know this story, Chris, but I mean, maybe we should explain it to those who may not know. It's a super interesting story. Yeah. It's It'll stay with you, much like maybe the first time you saw A Nightmare on Elm Street, it'll stay with you, this right. story, and how much was pulled out of that article into the movie. I'm sure you will 
now explain that because uh, it's just I'm, I'm ne- it never fails to like get me yeah this, this story so because craven had said he said in multiple interviews that he based the dying in your dreams or the your dreams are what kills you or dying in your sleep that was the gestation of the idea that he had for the movie and it came from these series of articles released in the paper in the late 70s and early 80s it was like a number of articles and basically what it was was a series of young uh, southeast asian men mostly from cambodia and laos and like the that area of the world for some reason there were multiple cases of these young men between like 20 and 30 or so years of age so it's a very specific set they were dying in their sleep one specific article that craven always kind of talked about was that he read about this one specific case where this young man, I think it was in his early 20s, his family had immigrated from Cambodia after the Cambodian Civil War. They were the Cambodian, like, killing fields is what they call them, where people were, it was just mass genocide. And they had escaped from there, moved to California. The son had nightmares, and he would tell his parents about them, like, like this, I can't sleep. Like, I don't want to sleep, because I think I'm going to die if I sleep. And one night... He did. He died in his sleep. He went to sleep. He never woke up. And uh, I think later on, I don't know, this must have been in the article saying that like they found a pot of coffee hidden in his room and like his parents were just like, go to sleep, you'll feel better. But he never woke up. Yeah. And that was one case. But I did do a little research into the actual specific cases. Oh, there's more because that's the story that I know. Yeah. So that was the one case. Okay. But when I was looking it up to try to find the actual articles that he might... Because he's never really said yeah. the exact article because I'm sure he didn't sure. remember. And, and if, let's say, hypothetically, which we know he's not, but yeah. let's say hypothetically he's making it up. It's it's a really right. convenient story. To yeah, like, right. Like, who's going to find that out? But this is an actual thing that you can look up. Okay. And what I found in one night of Google research... Right before was, you go to bed, which is right. a great time yeah. to do it, you yeah. know. Uh, the first recorded case happened in Orange County, California in 1977. Huh? And by 1981, which was only four years later, there were 20 confirmed cases of the same thing, which fits the description of people from this part of the world, young men, 20 to 30 years old. 20 cases that were confirmed, which means there were probably more. Wow. Yeah. And, and is it, let me ask you this, because now I'm intrigued. Is it, was it all Asian men, just like the yeah. other thing? Uh-huh. Really? All from Southeast Asia, all from that what, Cambodia, that, Laos area of the world. Same area? Yes. Wow, and they had immigrated just recently in like this last I don't, decade. I maybe. don't know if they all were in California, Ooh, but okay. they must have been in America if they were confirmed. Wow. Man, I can't believe it. Same background and everything, basically. Yeah. Wow. And that's why it became this thing. Like They still don't know why it happened. That's crazy. But the what it's called, if you want to look it up, <laughs> is SUNDS, S-U-N-D-S, which stands for Sudden Unexpected Nocturnal Death Syndrome. Oof. You can look that up online and read about the cases. Yeah, and yeah sweet dreams. Yeah, right. It's, it's a real thing. So kind of going back to my intro, talking about how fears that anyone can relate to, nightmares, yeah, it, yeah. like not being able to sleep and the fact that the terror is in your own head... And it's a real thing. Yeah. It can be a real thing, like yeah. for a certain group of people in the real world. But it's something that's relatable to everyone. I think yeah. basically, trauma that happened not of their doing helped lead to what they're suffering from. 
and that's exactly what was put into the movie. Yeah, and the, like it, it's not exactly, but I like the way that he had it to where eventually it's on the parents. Oh, and it's yeah. almost like yeah, yeah. this thing that they infected their children with. It absolutely yeah. is, and that's yeah. one of the main themes of the movie. Is the uh, there's multiple themes that you can see through the actions in the movie, but specifically like the adults versus kids is a large part of that. And if you listen to our previous retrospectives, talk a lot about the parent-kid dynamic in these yeah. types of movies. Or lack thereof. Exactly. <laughs> so you go back to the Halloween series and the parents are largely absent. They're just not there. Yeah. They don't. They hardly exist in this yeah. world. Um, you go to the Friday the 13th and the first one you do have the mother yeah. that, that enacts the revenge on the kids. But yeah. after that, it's mostly just like kids, again, alone. But in this one, the adults are actively working against the kids and that's all embodied within Fred Krueger, yeah. um, like as the monster. But watching the movie, every single parent that you see in the movie, and there are a lot of them. This yeah. is one thing that sets it apart from the other slashers: yeah. is that the parents are always there. Yeah. But they're actively, physically working against the kids, and they're leading not just what they did in the past, but what they're doing in the present is leading to their death at that point. Yeah. Because you look at. Of course, we're going to spoil everything about this movie. In a lot of my new episodes, I've done the spoiler alert. So this is your spoiler yeah. alert. Yeah. The entire episode is going to yeah. be spoilers. You Sorry. look at Nancy's parents. Yeah. Her father is, John Saxon, is yeah. the best parent in the movie. He yeah. does eventually come to rescue Nancy, and yeah. he feels like he's doing best. Yeah. But her mother actively working works against her, makes her go to sleep. She's drunk yeah. all the time. And that's a, that's a, obviously a, maybe even a product of her dealing with what she did. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So, and, and that led to the breakup of her marriage. Obviously, right. obviously, this this is a if it's not a divorced couple, it's at least a separated couple. Oh, at this point. I, yeah, I I feel like they're probably divorced. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Glenn's parents, Johnny Depp plays Glenn. His first feature yes. role, introducing introducing Johnny Depp, and his mother is she's kind of in the middle. She doesn't seem that bad, but his father is when Nancy calls to get Glenn to come help her. He's like, yeah. Glenn's asleep. You need to talk to him tomorrow morning. Hangs up the phone, takes it off the hook. Yeah. So He's he, that stereotypical dad, like, who the fuck's calling this place yeah, after 8 o'clock? Exactly. You know, like, you gotta be stirred with these kids. It's like a stereotypical, you know, dad just being a dad because he wants to be the dad of the man of the house. And right. He's just, like, really swinging it, you know. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And But he led, that led directly to his own son's death yeah. not like just a few minutes later oh yeah and the fact that you learn later on that these same parents did the thing that is causing the thing to happen now to their children is yeah. just like doubling up on top of each yeah. other and i can i don't want to say forgive but i can almost slightly forgive the parents because this is where we're going to get into a lot of crazy up and downs yeah. and slopes here because yeah. Something you really brought up when we watched this together last time, and I, I, I love this movie so much that I've always just never questioned it. It's one of those movies that I've watched since I was pretty young, and I continue to watch to this day. So yeah. I, it's the nostalgia thing. So you forgive a lot of things with your favorite movies. You brought up a bunch of stuff just uh, you know just in this watch that we're going to get to, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, man, that's crazy. So getting back to the parents, with all the things that we're going to talk about, you can almost forgive the parents. I don't think they're so much in denial. I think this has to still be like, we are living in the real world here. Yeah. So how could this possibly be true? 
Sure. So you have to deal with logic in there. So, you know, if they come to that conclusion, obviously we have no movie. Yeah. Or at least not any an interesting movie. Right, right. So it's like, how can you think that this is happening in this real world, supposedly? The mom is kind of justified early on in thinking she probably thought about him early on. Yeah. And was like, no. And I know that it's not him. Yeah. It, it can't be him. Right. So we're setting this into like, we are not getting into supernatural stuff because that doesn't exist because this is supposed to be right. a reality that we live in. Right. So yeah, I can kind of forgive them initially for that. They, yeah. they don't help things out. Yeah. And they do wait too long to come clean, especially the mom. She's the only one that actually does come clean. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we're framing it in reality here. But there's a lot of stuff where it just reality just dies on that screen. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not, I was I'll say three quarters in, just because now we have to get into the whole. Well, this is happening, and this does happen in the nightmare. So now we have to say this happens in the reality. That if you do have the nightmare, you can't get hurt in the nightmare. So let's accept that. Yeah. But then there's all these other weird things that happen and you brought up and I was like, man. Yeah. There's no, like, reality just gets completely blurred at that point. Yeah. So like I said, there's all this acceptance you have to have in watching a movie. But then it gives you all these things that you can't really defend. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that was the intention. I don't know if, I feel like it got a little bit out of control towards the end of the movie. Yeah. And we'll get to it. We're kind of go a little bit in order and we'll talk about the end a little bit later Yeah, sorry on. about that. I just, no, uh, it just came to it's, mind. No, it's, yeah, it's absolutely relevant to the entire movie because that's one of, that's what Wes Craven wanted to do was to blur the lines between reality and fantasy, or not fantasy so much, but yeah. your dreams, dreams sure. and reality, yeah, I should yeah. say. Because I don't think anybody would fantasize about what was happening in that movie. No. Um, we don't get to fantasy until, like, part three. Right. <laughs> but I will say, of the word fantasy, uh, one thing that I did want to say before we get out of the, the whole Fangoria article, because there's not oh, a whole yeah. lot of stuff in there as far as, like, new stuff or relevant stuff, because it's kind of a preview, like, the movie's coming up. Although it did spoil, like, three of the four deaths in the movie. Really? Yeah, it was weird. That's, that's so yeah. weird when they yeah. do that. I don't, I don't uh, agree with that. But... When talking about fantasy, Wes Craven said this is not a horror movie. When he was talking about it in Fangoria, he said it's more of a, quote, more of a fantasy and impressionistic thriller, is what he called it. And well, even... It's impressionistic, for yeah, sure, yeah. you know. It it has a ton of, like, that German expressionist, like, but modernized and a little bit dumbed down because of the... The arms on Freddy and the shadows, and yeah. Freddy's always in shadows yeah. in the movie. And even yeah, this is the only time he is, you yeah. know, for, for the most part. And getting back, like, yeah, Wes Craven would say that once again, going back to talking about his previous work. Yeah, like, of course, this isn't a horror movie. I've already done those. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And so by that comparison, he's yeah. right. <laughs> and the producer Robert Shea, who is a, a big wig at uh, New Line, uh, he also he agreed. He says this quote is not slasher gore; it's a fantasy thriller. So they were selling it like that before be it was coming out. It's because it was on its way out. Yeah. That's why they said exactly. it. Exactly. Like yeah. I talked about in the intro, the slasher was on its way to home video VHS. Yeah. Garbage like, bin is what most people thought. Yeah, just like porno. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a boogie yeah, night. Because, <laughs> yeah. like well, VHS, I think it was like porno was at the top and yeah. then like horror movies were right underneath. Sure. Those were the top two sellers. Yeah. So you're not wrong. Yeah, it almost had its own beaded room. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. If you know that, if you're a certain age. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, it, it, this is New Line. 
they were like what maybe like four people in an office at that yeah, point so. they had uh, looking into their history they had been around since the 60s i think but they were struggling i was gonna say yeah well they do like local commercials for right. showbiz you know yeah. and but this was their first movie that hit it big sure. absolutely it yeah. was a 1.8 million budget around which, there which would so. have broken the bank if it had just right you know if they had failed it would have been that would have been it and it grossed more than 57 million worldwide <laughs> so it it put them on the map and that's why that's kind of why they rushed to do the sequels and the quality may be a little bit questionable in the second one it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but that's why because they made so much money off of yeah. it, off of something so cheap to make yeah i remember seeing like short commercials for this on television and being mm. like whoa yeah I mean, that's got to be the scariest thing I've ever seen. And then you go back, once again, talking about the video stores again, that box, like yeah. that, that poster art. Oh, it's one of the greatest, like all the different versions of the poster, but the one with Heather Langenkamp, her Nancy, yeah. and, like with the and it barely, up it, to her chest and then the, the like the, the weird glove. Freddy face yeah. and then the, the glove. It barely looks like her, but, yeah. and maybe it wasn't, maybe it was even designed without her in mind, yeah, I don't know, been. but. Yeah, it almost looks foreign now at this point. Yeah, like, it's like yeah. one of those kind of like foreign posters you see yeah. with all... They just throw a bunch of stuff on it. Right. It's almost <laughs> yeah. Jackson Pollocking it, you know? Yeah. Like, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's an amazing poster. Uh, that box stuck with me. I think I even saw it at a movie theater, like, on the yeah. Coming Soon thing. It was like, jeez, man. The lost art of movie posters. Oh, total <laughs> lost art. It's all teal and orange now, right? Yeah, and just big faces. I love Star Wars, but thanks, Star Wars. Right. You know, <laughs> that's pretty much what did it. Anyway. Yeah, but home video posters dvd uh, and b dvd and blu-ray those are so bad most of the time it's it's the vinyl versus cd argument yeah and the art dies yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe maybe we'll do a a, a movie art yeah. show at some point yeah because after when once you slim it down you, all you got room for is logos and a couple of faces right oh, yeah. anyway sorry okay <laughs> but speaking of faces you, you only see fred's face like later on but it's that once again, going back to that intro. Yeah, let's the, talk about the intro. And it's and the, and it's it's in the cube. You know, it's yeah. like in the like you think that that's just the pan and scan thing, and maybe that's what it was initially, like to kind of like like shrink the picture down for widescreen for home. Yeah. But then it makes room for the logo just to fucking bolt out yeah. of you, like oh, like just classic stuff. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, sets the tone. You you see, you know, this could be a flashback. He builds the glove, and it's on. Like yeah. you go. You go from the logo right into the first nightmare. It's yeah. like, what is this? And that's the thing is this was the first movie and you didn't know that this was a nightmare at the time. You didn't know what was happening. Yeah. And you, so you didn't know who Freddy was. You hadn't, unless you read Fangoria or whatever, you hadn't seen <laughs> his face. And you already knew that she was going to die. Right, <laughs> it's right. like, oh, yeah, here we go. But it opens with just close-ups, like you said, on the glove. And he's, he's actually crafting the metal and getting the glove and, the, and soldering the blades or welding the blades yeah. to the thing. And it's intercut with Tina, the friend of Nancy that is the first one accosted by Fred Krueger in this movie. Yeah, even and though they're all having the same dream that night, or the same nightmare that night. The same guy in their nightmares, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Not, not not the same nightmares, but the same yeah. cast of characters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the close-ups of, like, sparks and blades and metal intercut with Tina, this young blonde girl in a pretty sheer nightgown in that long hallway, and she's just down in the hallway talking about German Expressionism, 
that long hallway where she's in silhouette. She's backlit, and you can see through the sides of her gown, and you just see, like, the silhouette of her body as she's going through this, like, wet, dark hallway. Then you see a sheep, like, go across, and you're like, <laughs> what is, what? Why is there a sheep in this underground <laughs> dank <laughs> basement or whatever it is? And it just keeps going from there, and you still don't see Kruger's face in that entire sequence. Yeah. You don't see it until a little bit later in her next nightmare. Yeah. But one of the things that I really think sets this movie apart, other than what we've talked about so far, is the imagery. And the imagery in this movie is really, for me, one of the things that completely makes it. It makes it memorable, it makes it frightening, it makes it what it is, and it kind of set the tone for... Including Freddy and the images kind of set the tone for yeah. like slasher movies that would come. And that's important to say because anything else that I might nitpick out of this, and I'll definitely have some nitpicks here and there, mm. that stuff can never take away from my overall enjoyment of this movie. Yeah. Because it's visually stunning. Yeah. And I imagine I probably saw this for the first time on a pan and scan VHS. So the letter the letterbox free, it was just the square, so I'm sure I had the sides cut off. Yeah. And I don't remember the first time I saw it widescreen, but I'm sure I felt like it was a different movie. Yeah. I, I remember getting a VHS of it on Anchor Bay. That was mm. the first time I saw it widescreen. Yeah. Like a, a whole new appreciation for yeah. it. Uh, man, I loved Anchor Bay. Uh, mm-hmm. Did so? Did you see these in order? I mean, like I said, we talked about this in other. Uh, just for those of you who haven't heard them, and you should go listen to mm-hmm. them. We talked about how Chris was basically raised on these films. I was not. I had to, you know, fend for myself, mm-hmm. sneak over to friends' houses, maybe see it at my aunt's house upstairs after hours, you mm-hmm. know, because she had cable. Right. I didn't see these in order. Did you do you remember the first one you saw? Just real quick. I feel like three was the first one I saw. I think that I'm was mine. Pretty too. positive it was. Yeah. I was too young for this one. I was four years old gotcha. when this one came out, and the second one came out the next year. So I was in kindergarten when five when uh, part two came out. I think I was like three, two, four, and one. Actually, yeah. weirdly enough, it took me a long time before I saw number two. I'm pretty you. sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw three first. Yeah. I may have seen some of the sequels before I saw number one. I really don't remember the order, but I feel 90% sure it was number three. I was just curious, because I I know I didn't see it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons I have such a fondness for part three. It's it's a really good movie. Oh, yeah. But also, I think it was the first one I saw. Yeah. Not to spoil it too much, but I I really like three. (laughs) It will probably do well in our rankings. Probably so, yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, so we're back into the first nightmare there. Yeah, and it sets the tone because, like I said, we don't know that it's a nightmare at the time, but we see all these things happening, specifically the sheep running across. You're like, okay, like I can understand all this other stuff, but that, why is that there? I mean, there's a lot of religious imagery in these movies, and I wonder, I'm sure maybe after the fact they thought about that, the sheep is part of the, the crucifix. I, yeah, uh, we'll, get the, in, we'll get to the religious stuff because that's that's going to mainly be in, that's going to mainly be in three actually. This is where the yeah, religious yeah. stuff really kicks that's off. True, yeah, but I think maybe what they did was and just real quick before we get back to the movie, I think they after two, even though two did well money wise, I think yeah. the whole idea was like West especially was probably like. Let's go back to one and yeah. figure out what works. And he probably just said, let's take some of the little things that I built in here, even if yeah. I didn't have an idea for it originally to expound upon. And he yeah. did. And I think that's where a lot of that comes from with the yeah. sheep and the crucifix and all that stuff. 
because they didn't have anything in mind about Freddy's backstory. Yeah. So he made a really neat backstory out of, I think, that religious imagery later yeah. on. So anyway, that's all. I didn't think about the sheet being a religious thing. Yeah. Uh, I think Wes Craven had said it, it happened in one of his dreams, and that's why he put it in there. Sure. He didn't have the tray of cheese dream like we all <laughs> Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, the religious imagery is huge. One of the one of the absolute greatest scenes in or images in cinema history is right after when Nancy... Okay, so yeah, this... Yeah, 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 this first dream... Um, she does clutch the crucifix from her wall after that first night. She does, yeah. yeah. So all this That's is happening. Important. Freddy goes up to Tina, and he slashes at her. She wakes up. We all realize it's a dream. Her mom comes in. It's like, oh, you okay? Yeah. He's like, yeah. And she looks down, and there are four neat parallel slashes on her very sheer nightgown and even though this is the 80s yeah that still was part of the nightmare yeah <laughs> but that was, that was the fashion man <laughs> right yeah <laughs> and even then like right there her mom comes in and is like oh you should cut your nails or like yeah. like calm down and cut your nails she's yeah. in denial of like she didn't do that to herself yeah. clearly she didn't but that's the yeah. first kind of so that whole sequence sets up everything and then, so just going in a little bit of order, because I do want to mention one thing before we get to what I was actually trying to get to, yeah. was after that opening sequence where we meet Tina and know she had a bad dream. Yeah. So we see the little girls jumping rope and singing the song. It's all hazy. There's like a fog going on. Yeah. And it's a really great shot. And listening to the commentary on the movie, uh, Wes Craven had the director of photography there as well. Yeah. It was like... Craven, the director of photography, I forgot his name, sure. John Saxon and Heather Langenkamp. And so it was a really good commentary. But he said that it took like six guys to do that shot. There were six guys working on the camera to get this shot. Wow. Because it was over in this front yard, there are the three little girls. I think yeah. it's three. And they they live in Tina's house. That's why they use those yeah, kids. So it's kind of the bartering for yeah. using the house. Anyway, sorry. So they're doing the the nursery rhyme one yeah. two. Freddy's coming for you. Yeah. They're doing that, and it's slow motion and foggy. And as they pan to the right, the fog lifts. It goes from slow motion into regular motion. Yeah. This is all one shot done in 1983, four. probably when yeah, they filmed it, or maybe yeah. four. I, sure, I'm not sure. sure when they actually filmed it. But, and then when it pans over to the right, we see Tina with Nancy and Glenn and her boyfriend Rod. So we go directly from that dreamy sequence into real life. Yeah. And that's important for later because there's a huge bookend in the movie that I think is great. The ending itself, we'll get to it. Because mm -hmm. I don't know, I don't really like it so much the way mm -hmm. it is. But this part, I really like. Yeah. Okay. So we meet the four main kids in the yeah. movie. Nancy, Glenn, Rod, and Tina. Tina's scared, and she wants Nancy to come stay over, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so there she does. Nancy, Glenn, Rod, and Tina end up over at Tina's house the next night. And this is where... Yeah, Rod's not invited, but he invites He himself. crashes the party, yes. yeah. So they all go to sleep, and Tina, of course, has another nightmare. And this is when we first see Fred Krueger's face, but it's in the shadows. And yeah. he does he doesn't really say a lot. He laughs, and he's... Says Very a couple creepy. Of things. He says a yeah. few things, and the first line he says on screen is "This is God." Yeah, and he holds <laughs> up his glove and says, "This is God." So going back to the religious angle, yeah, which I made, I made a note of that throughout the entire movie this time because I noticed it right away, and just thinking ahead about what I remember seeing. So that happens in that dream, and while Tina's dreaming, 
in another room, Nancy is there. She's in bed, probably kind of just getting to sleep, and there's this angled, like, half-wall ceiling thing right above the bed. Yeah, which I remember seeing in different houses. Yeah. And to this day now, if I see that, this is what I see. It's the shot you're about to describe. And I used to want a room like that. Yeah. No, I don't. Right. So there is a crucifix hanging on there, and it just pops off the wall. And Nancy's sort of sleeping, so she doesn't see it happen. She just feels it, and it wakes her up. And she kind of goes, oh, okay, and she just kind of holds it. Uh, Mm. But then after a little bit, we cut back to that room, and there's that great sequence of two hands and a face just push out through the wall, and it's lit in such a way that it's just kind of silhouetted. There's the shadow underneath and the long yeah. like light above it as it is just looking down and reaching yeah. down to Nancy. And then perfect timing as it pulls back. As soon as the face goes back into the wall, Nancy wakes up and looks up. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just my head that sees that that face is pretty detailed. Yeah. Like, I yeah. don't know if that's just me that sees that or, or it's it's there. I still I still don't know. Like, that's how good it is. Like I'm not sure either. They didn't say in the commentary other than it was the special effects guy that did it. Right. It wasn't Robert England, but I imagine they probably, like, put a mask or something on him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, look, he's it's, got that rigid burn yeah. stuff on the face. Yeah. Like, it's just like, ugh. Yeah. And I was like, maybe there's not as much of that as I think it is. It's just that's, I, I'm yeah. seeing his face already because yeah. I kind of know what he looks like. Right. I kind of know what to expect. Yeah. But it's one of my favorite shots in, in any movie ever. Right. It's it's just brilliant. And this is as good as it is, this is kind of where we start into that, okay, what's happening in the real world versus yeah. what's happening in the nightmare? And that's where it that's where some of this kind of falls off a little bit. It's really it's it's a whole th- I keep going back to it, but it's just like it's cool. I'm glad it's in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would not want them to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like it's so good. But it's, like it's it's tough. Like, It's in her head, right? I mean, that has to be part of her dream, right? Yeah, I don't know. I think, I don't think there's a clear explanation. You can kind of see it either way because we can kind of skip around a little bit. I don't want to just like recite the entire movie. No, no, no. Since if you haven't seen the movie, go see it because Mm -hmm. we're going to skip around a bit. We're not going to tell you the whole plot. But when that happens in the room, see, I go back and forth because Nancy was possibly asleep at the time she was trying to sleep maybe she was a light sleeper maybe she wasn't in like REM sleep but if she was asleep I could see that happening in her dream but at the same time Nancy didn't see it happen so why would it happen if that was a dream there was if there's nothing that doesn't make any sense yeah there's no there's no cutaway yeah because in your dream it's all focused on you. Nothing exists outside of you within yeah. your own dream. It's all point of view. At yeah. least is, that's how my dreams go, at least. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if you you have some sort of omniscient view in your dreams, it's still all about you. Yeah. You know what's happening in yeah. your dream. So that doesn't really make much sense to me. Mm. But then there's times in the movie where Freddy's, for lack of a better word, his magic. He can do magic in the real world, and we see it, and we know that it's happening. Yeah. So it's, it's hard. It's hard to, and we'll get, we'll do a deep dive when we talk about the ending sequence, because that is where it really kind of goes off the rails. But so Tina ends up dying in that fantastic sequence where she's having the dream. She's chased down the alleyway and Freddie gets her 
and yeah. she's in bed with Rod. Ripping the face skin yeah. off. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's... It, some people may laugh at that now, but that was the scariest shit yeah. I'd ever seen up to that point in my yeah, life. for sure. It was something else. It's... I mean, I think it's still... It's, it holds up. I hate yeah. when people say it still holds up, but it is still effective to this day. Yeah. Because if something is good, it's always good. There's no holding up or not. It's just good. Yeah. It, it is good. It is a good shot. It's a good yeah. scene. But the Tina's death is, after everything we've seen so far, this is all within like the first, what, 20 minutes of the movie? Yeah. And Tina's death, she is attacked in bed. Rod goes flying out of the bed, hits the wall. Because he gets hit by her body. Yeah. While because it's rotating she's, she's, around. She's being flung around on yeah. the bed. Yeah. You see a slash. So her her nightgown was slashed before. Yeah. Now you see her flesh being slashed by invisible claws. Yeah. So this is the real world. This is from Rod's point of view at this time. Yes. More or less. Tina is screaming and her eyes are probably, she, her eyes are definitely open at this point. Yeah. But she is still being attacked. She's being slashed. She's flung against the wall. And then that great sequence where she's dragged up the wall slowly and then dragged across the ceiling as she's yeah. still being slashed. Wasn't that first used in like an old Gene Kelly movie or so? Was it, one, it was like Fred Astaire or Gene Kelly. It's one of the dancing guys. Yeah. <laughs> and he, climb, he climbs the side of the wall. Uh, I think so, yeah. Lionel Richie would later do that in Dancing yeah. on the Ceiling. That yeah. was a big deal for me. Uh, so it, it's, but that trick was actually from an old movie, like yeah. from, from like the black and white days. Yeah. Know, so. And Craven, he never hid the fact that he borrowed from things. Yeah. He was influenced by things yeah. to make this movie. I just like that they used it. It's yeah. like, I'm, I'm surprised people hadn't used it more is all I'm saying. Yeah. And they, they got their, their fair use of the rig because they used it twice in the movie. Yes. But yeah, so this is just this amazingly surreal, bizarre death sequence that you're not going to see in any slasher movie up to that point. Yeah. Because they just didn't happen that way. Yeah. And it's as bloody or bloodier than almost most any mainstream slasher, I'll say that. Yeah. There are some like low-budget indie uh, like VHS stuff that's way more gory. Yeah. But as far as like mainstream theatrical stuff, this is yeah. one of the bloodiest. Because it just... Yeah. The whole room is just covered in blood. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's the first death. That's like the first 20 minutes. I always wonder, like, when Heather and Johnny are first, like, running into that room, mm. I wonder if they saw the room before it. I really like the reaction that yeah. Heather does. Yeah. She runs in because you would want to run in yeah. to, like, see what the hell's going on to yeah. her friend. And then she immediately takes, like, two really slow motion steps back like yeah. she just got punched in the gut yeah and i love that reaction people that's a really underrated shot but yeah. like next time you watch it people look for that she for just sure. she just looks like she goes immediately into a hate she's like really serious and all of a sudden she's just like whoa yeah and her head just goes crazy yeah absolutely that's great so basically they think that Rod killed Tina because there was no one else in the room. It had to be him. By the way, just because of the way Rod looks and the way he dresses and everything, yeah. just finding out that Ralph Macchio was up for that role, I'm I like, can see yeah, that. I totally see that. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so anyway, Rod is arrested, he's taken to jail. And uh, Nancy in between this starts to figure out that there's something going on. She talks to Tina, she talks to Rod, she talks to Glenn at different times, and they all inform her about the dream they had of this guy with knives for fingers or fingers yeah. or knives on his fingers. They say it in different ways in the yeah. movie, yeah. but she puts it together. And is like, wait a minute, we're having the same dream. Yeah. 
So she knows Rod didn't do it, and she's going to go into the dream to start hunting Freddy. Yeah. And that's after she has that traumatic nightmare at school. That, okay, so talking about the imagery, I'm sure you have your, is is the wall thing your favorite image in the movie? Because I have no, mine. Okay. No, um, get back to me on that. Okay. Okay. Because my favorite image in the entire movie, and one of my favorite images and scenes in all of movies is Nancy's dream in the school. So in class, it's the very, it's kind of typical Halloween-esque, or Halloween ripoff almost, mm-hmm. of the the final girl, which I don't know if that was, I don't that wasn't a term at the time, mm-hmm. but Nancy, who is clearly the main character in the movie, yeah. is... But it, it didn't start off that way. That's what, that's another thing that's yeah. cool about it, by the yeah, way, yeah. is that you, Tina seems like she's going to be the lead. Yeah. Up until the first yeah. 10, 15 minutes. It's a little bit of a psycho thing where yeah. you're kind of thrown off. Yeah, and then scream later on. Yeah. Hey, Wes Craven. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> but she is in class, and her teacher, by the way, is Lynn Shea, who is the sister of... She related to Robert Shea from New Line? Yes. Is that, oh, I just now put that together. Brother and sister. And Lin Shay, of course, is super famous now for all of her horror movie appearances. Yeah, she, and all of her Fairly Brothers appearances, not for yeah, nothing. Yeah, but, uh, fair enough. I think uh, within the last decade, she's like the, the queen of horror. Like, if you need an older woman in a horror movie, yeah. she's it, because she's in all of them, it yeah. seems. It's also, it's not just the look, because yeah. she does have an original look, but it's also the voice. Yeah. I also love her as the uh, the mom from Detroit Rock City, by the way. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. Okay, I forgot she was in that. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Um, anyway, had to mention that. Sorry, yeah, yeah. But Nancy's dream, she falls asleep in English class, and she doesn't realize initially that she's fallen asleep, which happens a lot. Yeah. And... Uh, Okay, I'll touch on that a little bit later because that plays into the final sequence. And then she sees the shape next to the station wagon. Okay, sorry. Oh, oh, sorry. She actually, instead of looking at the window, she looks at the door. She looks the opposite way that Laurie Strode would have. Yeah. And she looks over to the open classroom door and standing there is Tina, covered in blood, in a almost fully zipped body bag. She's just standing there looking at her, not six feet away in the classroom. And so this is a dream, and of course, by this point, we've already seen a couple of dreams. We realize that Nancy has fallen asleep. Yeah. And so, and what's that classmate saying? Like the one that's getting up and like, is it he was school? reading Hamlet. Yeah. At first, and then no symbolism there, by the way. Oh yeah, no, of course, yeah, no. <laughs> if the Halloween scene was kind of obvious with its the lesson being taught in that class, yeah. there's like no subtext in the the. <laughs> class being taught in this movie although funnily enough Wes Craven said that he went to a school a high school in California to research what kids are like in school in 1984 and he said that that was what was being taught in the class that he was in and that's why I used it oh okay she looks back and she's gone and there's just the the pool of blood that goes off to the left. Yeah, which is just a janitor moving his mop through right. the <laughs> Sorry. So Nancy gets up, and she walks out into the hallway. And of course, like I said, this is a dream, so the fact that Nancy is so subdued and kind of confused rather than scared makes sense, because mm-hmm. it's a dream. We know it's a dream. You yeah. act weird in your dreams. Yeah. And she looks over, and there's the, the snail trail of blood all the way down the hallway, and in the distance, in that very long shot... We see the body bag, and then we see Tina's hand pulled up, and she's dragged off by some invisible force to the right. And that thing right there is, like, one of my favorite things ever put on screen. 
and it does go on from there. Nancy goes down and she meets the the hall monitor in the red and green sweater. Yeah. And then she goes down into the the bowels of the school that turns out to yeah. be Freddy's boiler room and things like that. Yeah. And that's convenient because every high school does have a boiler room. Right? At, least, yeah. at least they used to. Yeah. <laughs> and one thing that uh, Heather Langenkamp mentioned in the commentary that I noticed as well is that whenever Nancy is in these dreams and she's trying to follow Freddy, she's always going down. She's going downstairs. You never see her going up. She's always going down, 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 down. Yeah, it's not until she's in the real world again later. Yeah. On. When she tries to go upstairs, it. The, in her own house later yeah. on the, it tries to grab her it tries yeah. to pull her down because yeah. it's like that glue oatmeal or whatever yeah. in the yeah. stairs um, so it's it's very intentional everything that Wes Craven did in this movie is intentional but that was that was the first time really that Nancy realizes that what happens in the dream happens for real because she burns her arm on the pipe in the boiler room to wake up and when she wakes up she sees that she has a burn on her arm so she knows something's up and as the movie goes along, I'll skip ahead because I'm just again reciting the yeah, movie. Yeah, so. But I mean, there's so much good symbolism. That's why yeah. it, that's the main things I like to talk about. Yeah. By the way, my favorite shot is the the wall shot. By the way, oh, it is okay. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's tremendous. Yeah, yeah. I even saw a, maybe it was a fan poster or it was a foreign poster where they use that shot in the poster. Oh, really? Which I think kind of takes away from the shot because if you're not if expecting you it, it yeah. yeah, you don't want to expect that shot. That needs to be a surprise. That's but, true. I would still own that poster. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so basically, when Nancy goes along, her kind of arc is she realizes that at another point, you can pull stuff out of your dream as well. It's not yeah. just things that happen to you. Because yeah, I was in the, the, the sleep uh, yeah. center that she went to. Yeah. That Roger Rabbit was conducting <laughs> yeah. the tests on her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she tussles with Freddy in her dream, and when she wakes up, she has his hat. And that's where she learns the name. Like I said earlier, yeah. Fred Krueger is written in the hat, and that leads to the mother explaining that the parents of do they even they don't even say elm street they just say the parents of the town I elm guess. street is never mentioned yeah. the entire film yeah and uh they never mentioned springwood either but that's that's kind of that line of the plot is that's how that all kind of leads to the next thing but before we get to that I know uh the first time you really started talking about these things that we're going to talk about later mm-hmm. it happened a lot during the rod death yeah. While he was in the jail yeah. cell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is where you were like, hmm. Yeah, this one was weird. So it starts from, it's, it's in the nightmare, but it's also like, it's being seen in someone else's nightmare. Like, knowing, is it? knowing that that is happening now yeah. because she saw it, but it still happened. Right. That's weird. So there's, there's a few things <laughs> in this one. So this is another one of Nancy's dreams. She, this is after the stuff we had just mentioned, but before she learned yeah. who Freddy was. And she starts putting Glenn on Nightwatch. Yes. Glenn. Who is the worst Nightwatch he, he falls asleep all the time. He, Glenn, climbs up the, the rose trellis, very romantic, to yeah. get into the room. Much like Wes Craven would use later in Scream. Totally. And he, basically, Glenn does not believe Nancy. He's kind of like the parents, but he's also like you're like no, I, like I love you, but you're crazy. Yeah, you you can obviously tell it's like well, I still want to be your boyfriend and maybe do things with you, yeah. so I'll go along with the ride here. That's why he's very nonchalant about the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Although I do like he followed her early enough into the dream. That shot's so weird. That's the thing. That's one of the things I wanted to mention. So Nancy asks 
Glenn to watch her if she starts to get into trouble, if she starts mm. to thrash around, if she has a nightmare, wake yeah. her up. Simple. Simple. Easy to do. One job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Nancy goes to sleep to try to hunt down Fred yeah. Krueger. And she goes into her dream and she starts off in her house. She goes kind of down her sidewalk. There's that fog again. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And she turns around and she asks Glenn if he's there, if he's watching. And then Glenn appears from behind like a a tree or a lamppost or something. I can't remember what it is now. But he kind of steps out to the side. He's like, yeah, I'm here. I'm watching. That should have been a tip-off because why would he be in the dream if he wasn't asleep they made fun of that in the simpsons episode remember the treehouse of horror where groundskeeper willie's the freddy krueger oh yeah it was like yeah but how could it wait (laughs) (laughs) like they totally like tributed that in that episode by the way go look (laughs) they didn't even mention that in the commentary though they they just skipped right past it Because I guess there's a lot to forgive in this movie because we love it so much. I guess really, yeah. The whole pulling people into your dream didn't happen until later in the series. Yeah. So that wasn't really a thing at this point. So that's why I think the mythology and the whole workings of it is a little bit unclear and just not not fully fleshed out. Which is where he grabbed it into three and expounded yeah. it and made it better. Yeah. Yeah. So. so to me, when I see that, I'm like, oh, well, he's clearly already asleep. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> You're about to have a really bad time. And if he wasn't asleep, then Nancy was just dreaming that he was there sure. and it wasn't really him. So that doesn't make sense yeah. either for her to have done that. So, eh. But then she's able to figure out what's actually going on in the her quote real world yeah it's a little weird because she goes towards the prison or the jail yeah. where rod is being held in the jail cell with her father yeah. i like it's those old towns where you could just look through yeah. there's the window like down at the street level yeah. <laughs> seems to stop kids from just ripping on prisoners on right. a daily basis yeah. <laughs> like you stupid ass yeah uh, before she gets there though i, I do want to say that there's another sighting of tina and it's the one where she's just standing there against the fence, like in yeah. the dark. She you almost don't see her at first, yeah. and then the the centipede falls out of her mouth, yeah. and the just the eels and the snakes in mud just surrounding yeah. her. It's just I'm not snakes again, which could be religious. Yeah, oh, the, the for serpent. sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's definitely all there. That they kind of encircled like, her. So she's she's basically encircled by this demonic force she's almost like a desecrated like statue of like yeah. one of the like a virgin mary or something yeah, like yeah. that's what that's she looks what like. It looks she's like she's in white and everything yeah apparently in the commentary that centipede like got yeah. loose for a few hours Jesus Christ! and so everybody was just like offset until the guy finally found it <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be really cool once i find it yeah <laughs> But so all all the reactions are genuine. You're saying right, like yeah. <laughs> up, uh, after this point. Yeah. So Nancy goes to the jail cell in her dream, and she sees Freddie walk through the, the bars, bars of the cell, mm-hmm. and so she realizes that Freddie is there for Rod. Yeah. It's a little weird. Like, does she actually like astrally projecting herself? Is that just in her dream? <sighs> is she dreaming? What it, are, are her and Rod and Glenn all sharing yeah. one dream? Yeah. We don't really know. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, you know, it was just that intuition. Sometimes yeah. it's just damn fine police work. <laughs> right. So what happens in that dream is that Nancy starts to get attacked and she has to... She basically wakes herself up. I yeah. think her alarm goes off because <laughs> yeah. she had set her alarm, I guess, as a, a failsafe. Good. <laughs> yeah. So, and Glenn was, of course, asleep beside her. She, like, she like slaps him. It's like, I told you to watch me, stupid. <laughs> but back at... So Nancy... Gets Glenn to go run with her to the jail cell because she knows Rod's in trouble. 
But when Rod is there, yes, he's asleep, but we're not watching Rod's dream at this point. But we see the bed sheet start to circle around his yeah. neck in the real world. Yeah. Like I, a, assume it's the real world. Yeah, that's exactly how a python kills people, by the yeah, way. Yeah. yeah. So that's one of those instances of Freddy's magic happening in the real world and not yeah. in the dream world. But it's weird because he hasn't been pulled in yet. He's yeah. not going to get pulled in until later. Yeah, so... But he's a, he is invisible. I mean, that that's at least something like maybe it's one of those things where there's like different levels of. There is, and I mean the <laughs> fact that Tina was still being attacked when she was she was awake. So maybe like he builds up this force, like yeah. the fear that he absorbs, which will actually that, play a part later in that, the series. That's way that's a Freddy yeah. versus Jason. Yeah, yeah. But maybe that maybe they looked at this and were like, how's he doing that? But maybe it like builds up this magic and he can do this stuff. In the real world, he can affect the actual reality yeah. whenever he gets like that much force. And of course, Nancy is terrified by this point. So he's just like feeding off of her. And that's one of the reasons why he keeps not killing her. He's just messing with her. So kind of going off of this, of course, Rod is hanged in his cell. And then Glenn does die a little bit later on after Nancy's mom puts bars on the house because oh. she's drunk all the time yeah. she doesn't know what she's doing yeah. i guess she thinks she's doing the right thing but of yeah. course she's doing the exact wrong thing it's like every time she talks to her mom it gets worse and worse and worse and then i, I don't think it's until the the dream factory as well as i call it mm. <laughs> the, the dreams of uh, hospital yeah that she finally starts to come around and then she's finally gonna tell her about the thing like it, it, it has to like really peak into awfulness and then she finally relents but yeah. also that's probably just because she lets her guard down because she's drunk. I think that's what it is more than her doing the right thing. I think mm -hmm. she was at the point to where she was hitting bottom and she was going further. And she knew that Nancy knew stuff that she shouldn't have known. She had no way of knowing otherwise. Mm -hmm. So she was like, all right, well, I guess I'll just say this anyway. And she mm -hmm. was she was drunk anyway. Like yeah. She gets progressively worse and worse and worse, like you mm -hmm. said. So Nancy is stuck in her house and Glenn is supposed to call her or she's supposed to call Glenn. They're supposed to talk to each other. Yeah, yeah. But Glenn, of course, falls asleep because that's what he does. Watching Miss Nude America, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Which, who would tell their mom right. that they're going to watch Miss Nude right. America? I always remembered that when I was a kid. I thought it was so funny. Yeah. Hey, by the way, mom, I'm not gay. <laughs> You're right. Uh, so I don't know if I have a girlfriend, I play football, I'm going to go ahead and double down on my heterosexuality. <laughs> okay. That's what I got out of it, at least. Right. Uh, you know, so. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, and, and leading into one of the great deaths in yeah. cinematic history, it's unforgettable. I, I just can't say enough about it. Getting use of the hydraulics once again. Yeah. <laughs> I do think it's interesting that we don't see either of the guy's dreams. We never go into their dreams. We only go into the girl's dreams. Yeah. So well, I don't know what that's about. I don't know what to say yeah. about that other than the fact that... This is the magic getting stronger. Uh, yeah. Oh, you actually yeah, see yeah. the you see the gloves this time. Yeah. Like you see Freddy pull him down with his gloves. Yeah. Which is basically like, I guess, you know, obviously... A, uh, it's, it's a metaphor for pulling him into hell, basically. Yeah, like killing him, him down. Yeah. yeah, so that that's what that's another thing I got out of it. So. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe now I'm just looking for the religious <laughs> imagery, but it, it does feel like it's a symbolic thing. Yeah, there's there's definitely a downward trend in a lot. Like I was saying about Nancy, she has to go yeah. down and down and down yeah. to find Freddy. Yeah, 
I mean, Rod went up, but he had a different journey. Well, yeah. Sorry. But, but he, that was a bad joke. <laughs> but he was down low. Freddie found him when he was in that, like, basement area of oh. the police station. Because Nancy sure. had to look down at him sure. when she saw Freddie. Okay. So, there's something yeah. to it. Right, like, right. nothing that Wes Craven did in this movie was by accident. Okay. So, but yes, you see the glove come up out of the bed and just drag him down yeah. into the bed, into this hole. And yeah. then you just see this, like, I think it was like 80 gallons of blood or yeah, something. It had to be at least that. ridiculous. Just shoot straight up this geyser and it, it starts to pool on the ceiling. Yeah. And it doesn't fall, it just stays there. Yeah. And floats. And it, Glenn, I like that the TV fell on him. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was had one of those little black and white kind of uh, yeah. portable televisions yeah. that he was yeah. they had on his uh, stomach while yeah. he fell asleep. I had one of those black and whites. So I yeah. did too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Glenn's mom comes in while, like at the end of when this is happening. So yeah. she sees the blood on the ceiling going off to the side. It was, the blood was actually supposed to, they were going to turn the room because it was upside down yeah, when they yeah. did that. Yeah, of course. Uh, when they were shooting it, they were going to turn the room so the blood actually went down the wall and onto the floor. Hmm. But apparently, so much weight was in there with the water that it unsettled the the mechanism. It couldn't hold it because it was so heavy by that point. And just the blood went everywhere, apparently. Apparently, everybody was covered and soaked. Wow. And it just did not work. So, But you can see a little bit of it in the movie you kind of see the when the blood is still kind of there's a little bit of blood coming up out of the bed yeah. you can see it kind of go sideways and the the light on the ceiling you can see it go sideways as well oh, okay. that's the start of that but I'll look for that next it time went real bad after that I'll have to watch for that next time I watch it but that's of course another great sequence <sighs> I was in the John Pukin since I saw it. <laughs> yeah. And that was, yeah, there's little touches of comedy there. And, and so when that's the, like the police the only are joke there, in the entire, well, that's not the only joke in the John. The, 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 yeah. the sound effects bit at the beginning yeah. during the sleepover is the pretty much the only other funny part of the <laughs> yeah, whole. Like straight up comedy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's very yeah, little. Freddie is not funny in this movie. No. <laughs> not, not at all. Yeah. No jokes. He, yeah. He doesn't buy his joke book until later. All right. But after that, so of course. Nancy's father being the police chief, I guess. He's yeah. the chief, yeah. He is across the street because Glenn and Nancy live across the street from each other. She talks to him on the phone. It's like, I know Glenn's dead, but if you want to catch this guy, come wake me up in, what, like 20 minutes, I think? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's real time, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so this whole final sequence, and that's kind of what we've been building to about the mm. whole what's real, what's not. And does it matter? That'll be a question we'll answer at the end, I think. It doesn't have to if you don't want it to. Yeah. It's a fun movie, if yeah. you, even if you don't do it. But if you're listening to shows like this, then you obviously care. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, John Saxon. I mean, from one of the greatest horror movies of all time, and also one of the other greatest horror movies of all time, Black Christmas, yeah. where he plays, like, the chief of police, yeah. basically, or whatever it is, like, yeah. the head sergeant. Yeah. Um, is that an accident? Did they ever mention black christmas in the commentary didn't mention it um i, I mean like i know yeah. I mean, he's a great actor anyway i mean you know yeah Wes craven was definitely influenced by black christmas as far as oh. like some of his later movies because i mean he but, was i can't remember last house on the left came out like right around the same time yeah, as black christmas yeah, same, same time yeah but as far as like the slashers like you can't get around being yeah. influenced by it yeah so and i gotta bring up black christmas every chance i get it's <laughs> right? one of the great movies ever <laughs> 
But the the final sequence with Nancy. So she's setting up all these Home Alone type traps in her house. Not yet Home Alone. Right, she influenced yeah. Home Alone. Right. Come on. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, retroactively. Sure. And, and then she goes. To What's sleep. your favorite trap, by the way? The the sledgehammer. Sledgehammer's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta agree with you on that. Although I would, never would have thought of the gunpowder thing. Yeah, it was she, a good one. Yeah. She obviously got that out of the book. Right. Uh, talking about Last House on the Left. So. Oh. The final sequence of that movie is where the parents, you've seen it, where... Yeah. It's been a while, right? Yeah, it's been a long time. So basically, in the final sequence, the parents are getting revenge for what happened to their daughter. And the dad sets up booby traps all around the house to kill Mm -hmm. the people. The main bad guy in the group is named Krug. Fred yeah. Krueger. Yes. And and Fred Krueger was a bully of yeah. Wes Craven's in his childhood, yes. if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And that's yeah. that's what I was mentioning about way back in the intro, like an hour ago, was <laughs> that drawing on his own personal things, Fred Krueger was a real-life bully. He's named two of his villains after Fred Krueger. Oh, who's the so, other one? Krug. Oh, okay. It's the same Krug. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, you have two? Poor yeah. bastard. Yeah. I only have one. <laughs> So her Nancy's plan is to pull Freddy himself out of the dream, get him into the real world. Bear hug him. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. And wake up with him in her arms and survive. <laughs> so it's not so romantic. <laughs> yeah. Survive long enough via her booby traps for, it was initially supposed to be Glenn, yeah. but now that Glenn's dead, for her dad to come in. And she says to arrest him, but, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> we did. And then... Literally after her mom told her that he got off on a technicality, it's yeah. like, well, a lot of good that's going to do. Right, yeah. He's going to have to be a dead guy. Uh, and by the way, uh, just to, uh, you'll like this, uh, just a movie that came way later mm-hmm. was uh, D. Snyder's movie, Strangeland. Mm-hmm. And he was influenced to write uh, the song Street Justice by Twisted Sister after that exact same way that Freddie got off. That's what the song is about, about... Mm-hmm. A guy who was a torturer, child killer, and he got off on a technicality, and the parents took it up yeah. uh, on street justice level. And that's uh-huh. what that song is about. And it became the template for the movie Strangeland that he did later on, mm. which has a cameo by Robert England. Wow. So mm. I know for sure that that's exactly where that, come, yeah. where that comes from. So I, I just wanted to mention that as a little uh, extra horror bonus track there. <laughs> nice. So the dream, it happens, she goes down and down into her own basement, and then in her basement turns into the boiler room. Yeah. What does that add to a property, uh, uh, like a, what a, like a value on the house? multi-story boiler room? This is my adult brain, like, what kind, of, what kind of house is that worth? I think a lot, but the fact that a monster lives in it is going to negate all of that. Yeah, so. totally. <laughs> we know anything about horror movies, yeah. on property values. Right. <laughs> but she's, she's attacked by Freddy, of course, and she falls and this is one thing i want to mention the 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 fall sequence was actually supposed to be this bigger thing she was actually supposed to fall and then like come out of the sky and like keep falling but there was no budget for it i think and so basically she just falls in the boiler room and she ends up falling into the rose bush that has been torn down from the trellis um so that's a little bit of glenn actually i think in my head that's a little bit of symbolism for Glenn kind of protecting her in that moment because wow. he falls down the bush into the rose bush that he had yeah. been crawling up and down to yeah. be a part of her. So that's her remembering Glenn. Sure. That's the protection. Also, but that still hurts. Plus it, the thorns. Well, yeah, because love hurts and he's dead. So wow, it all works. Also, why did you have to say love hurts again, Chris? <laughs> then we go over this already in Halloween. The there was a scene earlier 
where Nancy is reading that survival book and she's reading about how to do the booby traps. Yeah. Glenn, eating his hamburger for some reason, <laughs> it, talks to her about... So he, Like I said, he doesn't really believe her, yeah. but he starts to talk about this... I forget where they're from, but some sort of Eastern philosophy thing. This is Wes Craven's Eastern philosophy coming into it. I remember that, yeah. Talking about these people who had dreams and they were able to manifest what they wanted in their own dreams. So kind of like the lucid dreaming um, thing that that you can do. Another thing that Three three expounds upon this with getting your magical powers in the dream. Yeah. He talks about when these, specifically, when these people would fall... They would imagine the place where they would want to land. And so, to me, I think that is exactly what Nancy was doing in that moment when she fell in the boiler room. She was imagining where she wanted to land. She landed on this thing that reminded her of Glenn. It saved her life in the dream. It still hurt, and Freddy still attacked her. But that was all encompassed. And so that, Mm. even though Glenn in life wasn't able to help or protect her... He did it through his presence in her life, I think, is oh. what I'm trying to say. That's pretty heavy, man. Yeah. So. I like that. No other show is telling you this, by <laughs> the way. I guarantee okay. of all the billion reviews of Nightmare on Elm Street out there in the in the cyber world, right. I think that's a first. <laughs> yeah, Congratulations. I, mean, I, th- I think it's there, thanks. <laughs> and, but, unfortunately, Freddy does get her while she's still down there. And then there's that great shot of Nancy struggling in her bed and she has the rosebush and trellis on her she pushes it off it pulls back it's same shot she's in bed the trellis is gone i love that shot as well yeah it's real Mm. good and then that's another thing of connecting the dream to reality but is it so hold that thought okay no i have no thought i'm just blown away (laughs) so when nancy gets up and she's like oh it didn't work and then the great shot of Freddy springing up from behind her in the bed. Bro. Then the whole chase sequence happens yeah. in the house. And it's still so dark in the room. That's yeah. the other thing. Like, yeah. yeah. And eventually it goes down. Freddy, she pours all that flammable liquid. I'm not sure what yeah. it is. She pours it on him and he freaks out because I loved how he played that, how Robert Ingo played that. Yeah. Because when he realizes what she's going to do to him, yeah. that's the first time, the only time, that he, he literally freaks out. He's terrified. Yeah. So Nancy is terrified because he's about to be burned. Yeah. And that's how he originally died, of course. Yes. And she does burn him. The great sequence of him, like, there were like two or three burn shots that they did. They were talking yeah. about it in the movie. This guy yeah. is apparently extraordinarily yeah. famous for these burns that he does. I was going to say, he has to be the best in the business because yeah. it just looks so yeah. damn good. So he walks across the basement floor. He starts to walk up the steps and he finally falls down. Um, but of course he's not dead. And whenever Nancy does get her dad to come in because he sees smoke, the the <laughs> cop is like, well, maybe I should get her dad. Still a better cop than anybody in Last House on the Left, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's, yeah, I'll never forgive Wes Craven for that because that's spread to so many things. We've talked about it in the Halloween series. I know, but there, there's that shot of the flaming footprints. Like, yeah. how does that work? I don't know. Does that is that real? <laughs> and they go up the steps, and Nancy's mom is being engulfed. She, engulfed. <laughs> yeah, Freddie is just on top. He's still burning. No. He's on top of the mom, and this is where the movie just goes. Yeah, and this me. is where the breaks start to 
or the wheels start to fall off. I yeah. think. So John Saxon, I, I'm sorry, I forget his name. I, me too. I'm yeah. with you. He puts the, the, the great John Saxon. Yeah. <laughs> he puts the sheet on and puts out the flames, and then Freddie disappears, and Nancy's mom is just a skeleton. And then the bed opens up. It's like this cloudy blue light, and she just sinks down into it, and then the bed is fine. Yeah. So we talked. That's Gozer, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we talked about magic in the real world, but this seems like a whole bunch of real world magic. We just went to a weird. Yeah. Like we talked about all the things, and yeah, this is weird. Yeah, this is weird. Yeah. It it it's a head scratcher because everything else you're just like okay. Yeah. I can sort of get it. We didn't even talk about the iconic scene in the bathtub where... Oh, man. Yeah. That... Oh. Second favorite shot. <laughs> yeah. So where Nancy is... A, she's in the bath. She's been awake for like seven days by yeah. this point, I think she says. And uh, I took a bath as a kid. Every parent, don't fall asleep in the bath. Yeah. Like, everybody yeah. has yeah. is totally relatable to that scene, but that... It's amazing. Yeah. So you see Nancy's eyes slowly shut, and then there's that shot from down at the opposite end of the yeah. tub between her legs. Yeah. And it's the least sexiest shot, and something that would normally have people just go, "Ooh." Yeah, yeah. But it turns into this other weird sexual thing, which it is does. very dark. Because <laughs> the glove comes up, and then you hear Nancy's mom off screen, and as Nancy starts to open her eyes, the glove goes back down real yeah. quick. Just like the bedroom shot. Yeah. And then it happens again. She does fall asleep almost yeah. right away yeah. again. And she's dragged down underneath, yeah. down into the tub. It's yeah. like this huge, like, yeah. ocean underneath. Yeah. I think that makes it scarier that they build it up that way. And yeah. instead of just having her just get pulled yeah, for, for right sure. off the bat, the glove just... Yeah, because the glove shot is more terrifying than actually pulling yeah. it down, I think. It makes it so uncomfortable. I just had to mention that because that's one of those things where the shot we see... It never cuts when the glove comes up and down. Yeah. So is that a dream or is it real? Is it subjective or is it objective? It's just like the room, like I'm yeah. just not sure. And so in the room, all that happens. All yeah, that... two people seeing this now. Yeah, because John Saxon did see Freddy. He saw the flames, or otherwise yeah. he wouldn't have put him out. Exactly. And then Nancy realizes something. I'm not sure what she realizes, but she has her dad go downstairs and wait for her. The door shuts and she knows that Freddy's behind her, and he yeah. is. And I, I love the, the terror, like, more spandex being torn away, yeah. you know, like, just like the spandex in the, the yeah. room shot, the yeah. wall shot. But, yeah, it's just, like, they both saw her disintegrate into this lightning cloud bed yeah. thing, yeah. and they're just like, okay. Yeah. Like, it's just, that's where the movie becomes really weird, and doesn't it stops to make sense even with all this stuff this yeah. is really where it stops to make sense and, and i like the empowerment of nancy finally just like i've had it like, yeah and she's had it for a while she turns her back on him and like in the end of labyrinth you have no power over me i, I always think of that yeah. now too yeah. every and time nancy turns her back on freddie and says you're nothing and he goes for a swipe, but he just kind of disappears into these this like sparkly like thing, pixels, Mister DNA yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. It's just odd. I, I like that part the, of taking the power away. Sure, yeah. sure, and that's because now, especially now, when they grow the mythology of the character, yeah. you know now that the fear is what makes him a, a killer. Yeah, it makes him flesh. Yeah, and if you remove the power that he has then you do it in your mind the thing is 
I think for this to make sense, and especially for what we're going to get to in a second about the actual final scene of the movie, for all of this to make sense, because she walks into this next thing, which is clearly a dream. It 100% has to be. And there's no in-between. It's from the bedroom to there. Upstairs bedroom to the front door. Right. So for any of this to work, I think that she never woke up. When she landed in the rose bush, Mm -hmm. the trellis... When she supposedly woke up in her room, I don't think she really did. Wow. So... I mean, I guess that makes the most sense. Because yeah. everything else is just so... Yeah. yeah just so dreamlike. And that would explain why Nancy and her father didn't really act like maybe they should when they saw the mother being killed. Yeah. That explains the why? blue cloud. Yeah. That explains the, the flame footprints that don't really make much sense. Yeah. So and then all of a sudden her mom's alive again. Yeah. The 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 thing yeah. The thing that makes that make less sense is the fact that Freddy was such kind of a goofball walk running through the house. He kept getting hit like when he gets hit by the hammer. Yeah. I loved it. I loved the trap. Yeah. But he keeps getting hit by all these things and he's not what he usually is. But at the same time, if Nancy believes that he would be that way, falling then it into makes all of her sense. traps. Yeah. She she set up all those traps, so she has to see them all happen. Yeah. They all have to work. Right. And they do. And they do. And in real life, they probably wouldn't all work now, right. would they? After reading a book, like, one afternoon. In a day. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. I feel all like... Right, I'm buying this. Yeah. That's the only way it really makes sense to me. Makes it a better movie, if you think of it that way, too, honestly. Because yeah. yeah. I've always said this, uh, you know, to you and a few other people, like, when we talk about this movie... It's one of my favorite movies with one of my least favorite endings of all time. It really is. So let's get to the actual final ending. So well, which one, Chris? Right. Which yeah. one of the four? So, all right. Theatrical first, of course. The way the theatrical movie ends is that Nancy walks out the front door, like we said, from the upstairs bedroom where her yeah. mother died. And There's already sunlight coming in, by the way. She walks out the front door. It's bright sunlight. It's a little bit hazy. It's too bright. We've never seen it this bright in the movie. Yeah. Um, Nancy, the burn on her arm is gone. I noticed that. She actually like looks or she touches her arm or something. Oh, see, I never caught that. Yeah. Well, so next time. That is gone. Um, her mother is standing beside her. And sober. And sober. She said, oh, yeah, I decided to stop drinking. But she's not hung over in any way. Exactly. She talked about how much she bought him. She drank like, like she, an entire bottle of vodka. She would have been... Her hair would have been all fucked up. Yeah. She would not have looked at that bright, shiny face like, yeah. hello. <laughs> no, this is, yeah. So I'll try to go. There are four endings. There's the theatrical and there's three alternate endings that are on the Blu-ray. And so let me just do this real quick. I'll sure. just do the, the, the important parts that change. Okay. So Nancy talks to her mom and then she goes out to the street where... Glenn is driving a car with Rod and Tina in the backseat. Yes, everybody's alive. Yes. Nancy gets into the car in the theatrical cut. The It's a convertible. So the top flops down. It is red and green striped. The windows go up. The car doors lock. Nancy realizes something's not right. She screams at her mom. Her mom is still smiling and waving as this happens. Yeah, very Stepford eyes. Yes. Freddy, or a gloved hand, smashes through the tiny window on the door... 
drags a dummy and I'm not saying that Nancy's mom is a dummy I'm saying that there is clearly a dummy that is dragged through the small it's terrible it's real bad it's like I a rubber it. doll or something right yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really bad I never liked it the yeah. blu-ray makes it worse yeah it looks but, so fake but even when I was watching on VHS I yeah. never liked it it's never been it looks stupid yeah uh, the mom is dragged away the kids are driven off in the car, and then like that we, kind of foggy thing like last time. And then we pan over to the right, and there are once again the jump rope girls singing the nursery rhyme, and that's where the movie ends. Sure. So I like the the jump rope girls because yeah. that is a very clear bookend to what I mentioned earlier, way back forever ago. I had a feeling you were going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that's fantastic. I yeah. love that part of it. Yeah. The mom being dragged. Mm, no. The Freddy car. Not no. as much. So that's the theatrical ending. The first alternate ending on the Blu-ray. Same thing happens. Nancy goes to the car. It's a convertible. The car is just normal. Nothing happens to the car. There's, you don't see the, the, the hatch either. That's why you know which ending. When you watch it, you know it's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. The whole thing isn't there. So the car, nothing happens to the car. Nancy and her friends start to drive away. But the mom is still dragged through the window in the same dummy fashion. And the jump rope girls are still there. Sure. We'll just call that number two. Sure. Number three. That's a big number two. Yeah, yeah. Number three. It's not the worst, though. No. Number three. The Nancy goes out, regular car, no Freddy car. It's fine. Still no Freddy car. Okay. The mother is not dragged through the window. She just smiles and waves us by as they drive off mm -hmm. in their nice, normal car. But the kids, the jump rope girls are there seeing the nursery rhyme. That's the lightest. There's the only thing in that one is the jump rope girls. And then the fourth and final ending is everything. The base. Yeah, is just let's throw everything in there. Everything we just said, the worst parts all happen. Except the, for the Jump Rope Girls are good. The the Freddy car with the red and green striped top. The mom is dragged through the window. The little girls are there jumping rope. And Freddy Krueger is driving the car. That's right. Yes. Oh, so what's your favorite ending? I know what mine is. The the really subtle one where nothing bad happens yes. and it still looks like a dream. I like ending number three. Yeah. Normal car. No drag through the window. Yeah. Just the jumper of girls. <laughs> the end. Cut to the yeah. credits as the girls still sing the song. And it still works. See, they always talk about how they filmed all these different things for a possible sequel because at the time they're thinking maybe there could be because the way these movies go, yeah. don't think that it's not a possibility. So that being said... I still think the regular, normal, good ending that we just voted on there yeah. uh, took a two-person committee vote, and we decided that that's the truth. Yes, uh, That still works for the sequel because of the yeah. full circle shot. And the reason why the full circle shot works is because your brain is now telling you, even if you don't realize it, your brain is telling you that nothing has changed. Yeah, This is the way the movie started. So it's probably still going on. Yeah, because it's, it's kind of a... And the nursery rhyme helps. Yeah, because <laughs> the way when it's just the kids there, it's kind of a swerve and then a swerve back. Because mm -hmm. you're like, oh wait, this whole movie was a dream? Like, none of this was real? Everyone's still alive? But then you see the jump rope girls and you're like, oh wait, maybe maybe this is the dream and maybe the rest of it was real. So it puts it gets real the, deep, that doesn't moment it? of doubt. Yeah. But with, with everything thrown in there, it's like, eh. Yeah. I, I so wouldn't mind if they George Lucas did and just tacked yeah. that ending on yeah. instead. It would, how much better would that yeah. be? Well, you were saying when we watched it that it should have just ended in the upstairs bedroom. Yeah, yeah. So that would that I think that would have been all right too. Sure. 
but uh, the, <laughs> I, mean, like, <laughs> I like how you're like, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Wes Craven did say in one of the interviews I read, or maybe it was the commentary, it was the commentary, that the mom getting dragged through the door was a compromise because Robert Shea wanted wanted a twist. He wanted the the Michael Myers isn't there or the Jason is in the lake. He wanted that in the movie yeah. because he, feel, he felt like he had to have it, I guess. Yeah. And so that was the compromise that Wes Craven made. Um, the Freddy car, I don't know. Apparently, from different sources, I've heard different things about Freddy actually driving the car. One thing I read said that Robert England wanted that to happen. Another one said that Robert Shea wanted that to happen. So who knows? It could have been both. So one of the Roberts is wrong. Right. <laughs> because that was the worst. That yeah. was the absolute worst. Because, like, what happened to Glenn? Like, that's yeah, dumb. Yeah, now he's, in, now he's driving. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's, that, and he's, he was in that shot, too. That's why, yeah. that, that's why that's dumb. Yeah. And it, anything that calls into what they... They obviously started number two that way for that reason. Which yeah. Which I guess we'll get to on the next one. Yeah. Okay, so that's... That's the movie. I don't really have a lot more to say about the movie itself. I mean, clearly we both love it. We have issues with the ending, yeah. but it's it's hard to end something like that. This was a mainstream theatrical release, so of course there's going to be meddling by people who aren't Wes Craven, yeah, I would sure. say. I would trust Wes Craven to make a great ending to the movie, especially since it was kind of his baby yeah. that he put his own he put his own experiences and his own belief in this thing. Uh, I I think it was in the commentary as well where yeah. he would he had passed the script around because he wrote it in like 1981 I think yeah I mean that because that's supposedly where the when the film's supposed to take place even though there's yeah. no references to yeah. and even the, all the po- music posters on the kids wall are of 1983 oh, really? and 1984 so I don't really buy that it takes place in 81 yeah that right off the bat that makes no sense yeah so. oh and it's all supposed to like it's filmed in California you see palm trees yeah. everywhere. But then by the next movie, it's supposed to be in Ohio. Yeah, anyway, sure, why right. not? <laughs> it was all a dream anyway, so <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's why. <laughs> Nancy wanted to go to California. <laughs> um, but he had submitted it to different places, and I think he said, I think it was Universal that he submitted it to, and they rejected him. They said, basically, this doesn't really work for what we want right now. But if you make the movie and send us uh, a copy of it, we'll think about distributing it. Is basically what they said. It's like go ahead and make it, and we'll oh, see yeah. what we can do. Spend your own money. But yeah, exactly. Imagine but, a shoestring version of this. Yeah. Like it would have been neat, but it wouldn't have looked yeah. as good. But apparently, Wes actually had framed that rejection letter and hung it on his wall. Brilliant! Yeah. I love that. Yeah, you probably still like to the day he died. And yeah, that's the other thing. Speaking of hanging stuff up, like Wes Craven's one of those guys, like you know, well-to-do guy. And of course, he bought this. I, I saw his house one time on, yeah. on a documentary. Beautiful house, just over by the beach or whatever. Yeah. And he's one of those guys, he's like, I don't put a lot of memorabilia up and I'm really not for yeah. that. And begrudgingly, even though he's like, I know what bought this house. Mm-hmm. So on top of the mantle above the fireplace is the Freddy glove. <laughs> Cause he's like, I should never forget yeah. how I bought this house. Yeah. And it was this damn glove. That's cool. And he was like, not, not that he held it in contempt, but he was just like, I don't put shit up in my house. Yeah. But I put that up because it deserves to be up there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So we have talked about the whole movie. I want to get a few things in that we didn't get to okay. in the rest of it. We touched on some of the themes earlier. Talk about the adults versus parents. And that's obviously, that's even just seeing it, I was like, yeah, this is clearly what's happening. Yeah. Wes Craven confirmed that in the way he was talking about it in the commentary. 
But also it's it's a lot about growing up as well, because when you watch the movie, uh, Nancy and her mom switch places by the end of the movie, like almost literally, because <laughs> in the beginning, Nancy is, she's scared, she doesn't know what to do. But as she realizes that she's basically on her own, and she starts to grow while the bomb starts to drink more and more, she has her bottle, her bottles all around the house that she is continually using, and the right before Nancy goes into that final dream, there's the shot of Nancy putting her mom to bed. Yeah. Whereas Nancy's mom had put Nancy to bed earlier in the movie. That's so there's right. yeah. the exact flip flop. Nancy takes the bottle away, puts yeah. it on the on the bedside table, she tucks her in and says goodnight, and she's basically saying goodbye. Yeah. Didn't when she took her uh, coffee tray away, when she tucked Nancy in, yeah. th- that's when Nancy revealed that she had more under the bed too, right? Or something like that, or a pot. Yeah, she, she pulled thing. another one like out yeah. of her own bedside table. And that's straight from that article. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and the thing, like, you saw that Nancy was hiding the coffee to stay awake. Nancy's mom was hiding the liquor bottle in the cabinet, or in the like linen closet yeah. that Nancy saw, and she was hiding bottles to fall asleep. Yeah. So... Yeah. It's the complete opposite. They were in opposite trajectories. They crossed each other, and then, yeah, so Nancy's mom died, and Nancy lived because she grew up. Basically, she became an adult. She even had the gray hair. She got the gray hair, so she grew up. That's a literal representation of her growing up, like, way too fast. Yeah, that's huge. And obviously, she does die because by the time you get to three and you meet these characters again... She's not around. Yeah, it's a little... If you think the whole last sequence is a dream like I do... It's a little unclear whether Nancy's mom dies or not, but yeah, she does die. She will be included in the body count later on. Um, I do, talking about Nancy's mom, she's basically uh, medicating herself with alcohol. Sure. Because of what, whether it's guilt or just the repercussions of what she did and what everyone, the parents in the town did. And that's from the original script too, because they don't, they don't talk about this in the movie, but I remember reading that. She was the one that actually, like, kind of put the death blow on Freddy. Mm. Like, it's her kill. It makes sense. And you kind of get a sense of that because she's the one that took the glove and hit it. Yeah. So, the act- Freddy's real actual glove was in the bottom, in the lower part, in <laughs> the hell portion of the house that Nancy was living in. And she didn't even know it. That would have been nice to have an hour ago, Mom. Yeah. Thanks. It's, <laughs> it's but a good it's, weapon. <laughs> it's another... It fits the whole motif of Freddy is down below and he's reaching out he's the never, entire time. Yeah, and he's never left. Yeah, he's, he's always been there. Yeah, and it's oh. always been in the back of her head. Oh. <laughs> so it's it's such oh. a great movie. Oh. Um, talking about like the Eastern philosophy stuff that Wes Craven put in, he did mention a little bit of this that I didn't... I kind of saw it when I was watching the movie, but I didn't really put it into a coherent thought. But he's ta- he talks a little bit, he doesn't go super deep into it, but he talks about mm-hmm. the, like the different levels of consciousness, basically, that he gets from, because he studied Eastern philosophy a lot, mm-hmm. and that's what he was doing around this time when he made this movie. Um, but it's talking about, basically, there's different levels of reality and being awake, basically. Mm-hmm. Like Most people are in this like bottom level where we just kind of focus on ourselves. We just do our daily lives, and we do our job, and we go home, and then we go to sleep, and then we do the, the next thing the next day then there's like a level above that with like thinkers and scientists and there's a level above that with like artists who can see like things in different ways so there's these different levels of consciousness yeah i think this is kind of like in buddhist like philosophy a little bit 
about like basically the pain of being alive like it it sucks to be mm-hmm. alive a lot of times and people <laughs> try to find ways to escape it so Wes Craven's idea for this movie specifically using that as a background is that sleep is a way to avoid the reality of your situation basically yeah. and but especially if you live a mundane life yeah um, you know, super hyper productive people that are real creative and get a lot of things done in life yeah. have been known to say sleep is the enemy. Right. And that exactly. And that's exactly what the movie was kind of based on in, in Wes Craven's head. And you can see it because if you look at all the different characters, they all have some kind of crutch they use to kind of escape reality. The mother has drinking. Rod has sex. Uh, Glenn has Miss Nude World. Uh, yeah, more specifically, he has sleeping. He literally goes to sleep to a escape lot, reality. Yeah. That's he, but that he was does two a days, so okay. you can forgive him. So. That was intentional. Uh, <laughs> Tina has her relationship with Rod that she she goes into that when she's yeah. scared, um, so, which is obviously like setting the tone for her life. You can see the way her mom was living at the time yeah, too. It's like yeah. That guy wasn't her dad. Yeah, exactly. And you, that, yeah, I didn't even think about that. But that's you can see how these kids are destined for certain things. Mm-hmm. The sins of the parents lead to what happens to the kids. Yeah. That's the whole thing. So it's actually this is going to sound weird. A good thing that her mom died because once you once you meet her in part three again, yeah, she's doing very well. She's her, freed from yeah. from like that pulling her down. Yeah, she has evolved a lot. Yeah, but Nancy. Once she realize, starts to realize what's happening, she kind of ascends one of those levels of consciousness because she sees yeah. what's going on. She yeah. understands, yeah. and that's why she survives is yeah. because she's she's going above the the levels that yeah. these other people in the movie never did. Oh, she absolutely becomes the next level of survivalist, basically, yeah. Like, yeah. With, without being like a, a shitty Bible-thumping person. Yeah. <laughs> I just, it's so cool like how he... how Wes Craven integrated like that Eastern philosophy, but yeah. also heavily using western religion as symbolism in the movie for hell going down the iconography of the crosses um there's a portrait of jesus in in one shot i I think it's in nancy's house like in the towards the front of the house and i guess that just comes from good schools because that's where west craven comes from yeah and even even the fire the snakes like it's it's all there yeah so it's it's but it's not explicit it's not like an exorcist movie where you have to like recite some incantation right it's all in your own head it's not yeah. this outside force yeah. when freddie says that the glove is god yeah but in the end it's nancy who has control over her own life yeah. it's not this outside force yeah she has control over it all yeah. it's a very humanist way to look at things i, I yeah. think it's it's so good i like that yeah yeah all right so we went real deep and real heavy and really went to a really bunch of cool places right there yeah but it's also a horror movie show, Chris, so <laughs> let's get to a body count. All right. Surprisingly, as even though this is considered a slasher movie, which I don't really consider this necessarily mm. a slasher, uh, it will be as... I don't even know if I... It too is a slasher, yeah. But we can talk about that, kind of how it evolves as we go. You don't want to know what I think of too yet. Not <laughs> yet. Not just yet. But we do have a few deaths in this movie. Yeah. The first death, of course, we've talked about all of them. The first one is Tina. She is stalked down the alleyways behind her house by the long-armed Freddy, the faceless Freddy, and the fingerless Freddy. 
And, and the Midget Freddy. And the Midget Freddy, yeah. The double. They laughed about that in the commentary. <laughs> it's 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 absurd, but I love it. Yeah. It, and it's a it's, dream, so who yeah. cares? You could be any... It literally became multiple sizes yeah. because that's what your dream is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Tina. Tina is... She is slashed in her bed, dragged up the wall, up to the ceiling, then Nothing dropped but back down onto the bed where blood just splashes everywhere. That's death number one. Number like, two, like my little Michael Jordan, Larry Bird yes, thing. Yeah, okay, yeah. you just kind of glazed over <laughs> yeah. that. Okay, sorry. Number two, Rod. He is hanged in his cell. We don't see his dream. We just see the rope python around his neck, and then we see the aftermath. Yeah. Glenn is dragged down into his bed, geyser of blood, up into the ceiling. Apparently, the TV version had like a skeleton that shot up out of there too, or something. Really? They were talking about that in the Fangoria article. I think it was. And I think they mentioned it in the commentary as well. It just goes blomp. Yeah. <laughs> it just kind so of falls out. <laughs> I've never seen it. And it's never been on any of the special features that I know of. I hope that's not one of those things that's like lost and destroyed yeah. at this point. Maybe it was actually never done or mm-hmm. it just never made it to, like never finished effects wise. Might have been an idea and they mentioned it in the article. Maybe. And it became a, oh, yeah. it never happened. Um, so Glenn was death number three. And then four, which I had a little bit of a question about, but I'm going to go ahead and counter. Marge Thompson, Nancy's mom, is number four. You can pick your death in this one. She is either burned alive in a dream or in the real world and then sucked down into the bed, or she's pulled through the window. But either way, she's dead. Yeah. Yeah. God, they're so they're both bad deaths they too. Are. Like, yeah. like screw both of those deaths. <laughs> Seriously, uh, but she's the only one that dies twice, I guess. Yeah, so <laughs> she she's very dead. Uh, yeah, just uh, before we get out of here, just talking about like some of the stuff that didn't make it into the movie that was initially thought about. Freddie was initially supposed to be like a child molester, yeah, not just a child killer. Yeah, and I think some of that still comes through in the movie because we kind of didn't talk about Robert England's performance a whole lot. We'll get to that, yeah, well, especially on an episode we need to pad. Yeah, <laughs> let's go <laughs> like five. Yeah, but yeah, I'll just leave it on this. Like, Freddie is such a great character, even in this, especially in this movie. I would yeah. say yeah. because he doesn't say a whole lot, and I know that Robert England wanted more he he wanted more of a dialogue with nancy rather than just being nancy with this he's basically a representation of evil more so than like an actual human in this movie and they definitely dialogue in the last act yeah um but also like what's his total screen time like eight minutes or something something ridiculous like that it's like jaws you know it's like leave him want more i i can agree with that too yeah but also, I do think a little bit of that child molester thing comes through because he is grossly sexual in this movie. There are multiple times that you see Robert England's tongue or a facsimile of his tongue. The phone thing with him talking to Nancy, I'm your boyfriend now, yeah, and then yeah. the tongue comes out. Mm-hmm. That It's kind of goofy and Wes Craven didn't necessarily think it was going to work, but it oh, did. Sure. Um, also, when he is stalking either her or tina or both in the dreams like he does the thing with his tongue when he's like chasing him so yeah, yeah. clearly he is not just a murderer yeah. and yeah he he has other things on his mind but it's not explicit yeah bathtub scene yeah yeah up between her legs yeah of course I mean, she's supposed to be i mean obviously she's of age as a real person when yeah. she filmed this but she's supposed to be she's like 17 supposed to be 16 or 17 yeah. in this movie which is still underage yeah technically yeah so yeah which obviously this is something that they used a lot in the remake but we'll talk about that <laughs> yeah. that's probably the episode where i'm going to talk about how good of an actor robert england is i'm totally kidding <laughs> jackie's fine anyway so i guess that's four four people 
Yes. Four people. Four total. Four deaths. And I guess that's that's all I have. I could probably talk about this movie for another two hours. Sure. But I think I'll go ahead and cut it off here. No, Save I'm... some for the wrap-up. Yeah. Oh, two is... Uh, two's going to be interesting. Two's... We're, we're yeah. obviously going to get to, like, the massive elephant in the room on it. But... I'm going to try to find some things I like. I think I might have a few things I do like about that movie. Mm. I know you have a few things you like about it, too. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get to it. And we also get to blur the what's reality and what's nightmare in this one. It's so yeah. over the top. Yeah. The, anyway. Yeah. But we'll get to that on the next episode. Yes. And you'll be able to find it on cnjradio.com, the home of the last theater, and the home of all of the CNJ Radio podcasts, including Joey's Rock Strikes 10, The Synaptic, Wrestling House Show, I Am Vinyl, Talking Rock. It's all on there on cnjradio.com. Oh yeah, Evil Dead was in this movie. Yes. It was playing in Nancy's bedroom right before the dream where she wanted Glenn to wake her up. And that is a callback to Evil Dead because in the basement of the house in Evil Dead, Sam Raimi put a poster of The Hills Have Eyes on the wall, torn in, not in half, but kind of down to the side. Yeah. But you could tell it was Distressed, The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Sam Raimi did that because in The Hills Have Eyes, in, I think it was the camper or maybe one of the houses, there was a poster of Jaws that was ripped in the same way in half. And so Sam Raimi said that in his mind, that was The Hills Have Eyes saying, that's not real horror, this is real horror. And so Sam Raimi was saying, that's not real horror, this is real horror. <laughs> And then Wes Craven put Evil Dead in his movie, and then Sam Raimi later on put the glove in one of the Evil Dead movies. Dead. Yes, he did. Wow. Jeez. So, there's that line. All right. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. I can't go anywhere after that. <laughs> Join us for part two.